Hi everyone, and welcome to the 40th episode of the Faultline Social Podcast. It's going to be an episode of the Beer Garden with myself, James and Rob, as per usual. Uh, for today's show, we just kind of decided to have a few drinks and uh, chat about some of our favourite musical topics. So we talk about albums, uh, documentaries, you know, personalities from the musical world. And of course, uh, the main reason is just to say a big thank you to everyone who's listened over the past 40 episodes. And uh, join us in sort of a mini celebration, which gets progressively worse as we continue drinking um it's probably the most boring 40th birthday party you'll ever attend but thanks for coming along and yeah i hope you guys enjoy out there thank you very much for listening cheers okay thank you all for joining us it's another episode of the beer garden uh with myself rob and james and today's episode is a uh, kind of special because it's going to be the 40th episode of this podcast um since we started which is kind of like a number i never thought i mean i know it's not a big number but it's like if someone said like oh you'll have a, a podcast with 40 episodes i'd be like no, I'll never have to follow through to do that. So not a huge milestone, but I appreciate. Um, but I think it's kind of a big one for us. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening up to this point. And we'll uh, just jump in straight into it. You know, how are you doing, Rob? How are you feeling? A 40th birthday is a big for anyone, man. So yeah, yeah. happy birthday to yeah, the cheers. We've all got a little beverage tonight, so it might be a little bit more loose than normal. So yeah, I got myself a nice uh, South African red. Um it's got a penguin on the front of it, so that shows my discerning wine taste. Wow, what about you, James? Cool. What are you drinking? You've got you've got something quite nice. Yeah, I've got a um, Aldi specially selected Sauvignon ah, Blanc. Yes, <laughs> it's Estevez, but I imagine it's not made by um, Emilio Estevez. The Sheen be, Dynasty. Yeah, yeah, that would be something that I put on the uh, put on the label. But yeah, so it's it's quite good. I can recommend it under six pounds as well. So nice, man. can't really go wrong. Aldi do some like really good wines for the price point. Really oh do. yeah like you know and i was you know snobbily saying oh how good that is before but i do actually buy my wine from aldi so yeah it's actually, it's actually good yeah yeah they're uh, fucking sick super yeah yeah what about you rob man what are you on is that the stella i can oh, see i'm there. drinking stella artois from belgium uh which was actually made in 1366 oh excellent vintage yeah yeah i've got a line just you know a little rack next to me we're not a oh, nice. <laughs> a, lot, a lineup of cans just for this, uh, this 40th birthday. Special. Wicked, bro. Wicked. Yeah, Celebrating yeah. Thanks, thanks to everyone who's listened. Thank you for coming for the 40th. We're here. You're here. It's actually Friday night in England as well. So, yeah, let's fucking have it. Let's do it, man. So, I normally ask how you guys are doing at the start because I'm unselfish like that. But I actually have some news this week because I uh, I moved, moved house or moved flat, I suppose. So, that was quite stressful. But I'm all in now kind of boring but like it's actually the biggest thing that's happened to me since lockdown so <laughs> like yeah um so that the way how are you doing james man what's going on well um weirdly i i don't know why i had to look at the date or why or what what for what reason but um i've actually been in my flat for 10 months now nearly is it that um, long Shit. yeah well. which is kind of insane because due to the lockdown and stuff obviously you guys haven't been able to come around. <laughs> we still haven't seen it apart from yeah, the video call. This is absolutely bizarre. Um, yeah. So yeah, by the time, I think by the time the regulations are all lifted and everybody's going to be able to come around, it'll be like nearly a year. But yeah, I mean, 40, because uh, we didn't start the podcasts, did we, until the until lockdown, did we? So, it was like the week before Christmas was like the yeah, first Yeah, because I, I was going to say, it's not yeah. even like the first lockdown that we did it. No, so no, it's literally no, yeah. been this What's most. The third, the third lockdown. That we yeah, because I mean, for Birmingham, it's been weird because technically it's the third lockdown, but because like for me, my like the pub that I work at was shut throughout December as well. It doesn't feel. It feels like just one long continuous second lockdown. 
Well, we've been the we've been the this huge scapegoats um, for for yeah. this whole thing, uh, which is is appallingly just under researched and a load of shit, to be honest with you. Yeah. But um, yes, yeah, so we've <laughs> been told when we reopen next week that we have to ensure that every single customer fills in all of the the test and trace information, despite the fact that literally what three weeks ago they pretty much admitted that they don't use any of the data. So, you know, it's cost like, 32 the billion. The government are just fucking stupid cunts, man. <laughs> yeah, the app was mandatory before, and now it's even more mandatory. So, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, know, I know, man. It's just contradiction. After con- I swear to God, anyone who's been watching the England playbook from overseas, you don't know what it's like to be on this <laughs> bit of rock in the ocean that we live on right now. Yeah, it's not the best, man. I will say that the vaccination and stuff, that's all, like, turned out, like, very well, yeah, to that's be fair. Yeah, so. absolutely smashed out of the fucking park, that is. That's been, like, wild. The, the whole um, testing and everything else was all centralised and taken out of the hands of the NHS trusts. And then when it came to the vaccinations, they handed it all back to the NHS trusts to deal with. Funnily enough, they've done an excellent job because the NHS as an organisation are actually superb and know what they're doing. The government as an organisation are a bunch of thieving criminals. Yeah, strange, so, though, isn't it? Strange. Yeah, it's really strange that <laughs> the NHS haven't trousered a shitload of our cash for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've just got the job done. So, yeah. a genuine thank you to the NHS. Yeah, props, man. Props yeah, to them yeah, for sorting out. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, all their hard work is amazing. We're uh, eternally grateful. Yeah, man, this is this is like the fortieth episode, and I'm just looking back at some episodes we've done in the past, and like it's it's actually so fucking sick, man. The amount of like of good artists that have come on to like chat to us and stuff, and like, I don't know to them maybe it's just like another day of PR, which is fine, like you know whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah. mind that, but it's like so cool, like some of the names we've been able to interview, like big names, I would say, man. If if people go back and like listen to old episodes but then like also smaller names as well that are like coming up i think to be fair the thing that's amazed me is that there's been and they're gonna know this and i'm not i've probably said it before and i'm sure i'm not pulling any punches but i've like i've done interviews personally and i've obviously listened to the interviews that you guys have done from people that i've never heard of like from bands that i've never heard of and i've been thoroughly entertained by doing them and also listening to them as well. Some of the different episodes, you know, I'm not saying, I know we get around to this point almost every time, um, but it's like, it's amazed me how much more I know now than I did before about, and I've gone and listened to different bands and stuff like that as a result of the interviews that we've done. It sounds really kind of like, oh, look, look how good we are at this. But, you know, I've I, I really enjoyed doing it. Yeah, me too, man. Like, and, and like, as you say, like, we're ages ago, we said we started the podcast during this last, like, just before Christmas, like, 40 episodes in, like, however many, like, months. I don't know. It's been, like, three months now, hasn't it? Like, three, uh, four, about four months. So I think that's, like, quite a good output, man, because, because, like, I guess we have, like, a captive audience. I guess, like, a lot of people are doing interviews at the moment. So... I'm predicting it's going to slow down slightly as bands oh, start be so on the bur- at the birthday party. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't mean it like that. I just mean like you know when people start like going like on gigs again, man. It's not just been like a gap fill. I, it has been obviously because it's given us something to do. Like I mean, I think if if I had to pick one. I don't know whether it was just the, the time or whatever, but like Rob's Rob's interview with Nate Sander, I thought was amazing. Oh yeah. Like what a cool guy, man. Like, yeah, definitely check that out. 
Well, there's bits that Rob seemed to discover that he, like it's a guy and a band and and whatever that he knew quite a lot about. But even then, you didn't know that he'd been with uh, toured with the Ramones. Yeah, I didn't know that at all. Um, <laughs> but I think when I'm talking to people that we know, sort of, and know all of us about the podcast and stuff, like my favourite thing about it is that Rob is still Rob. Like the Rob <laughs> that you hear on the interviews, he literally is that way. It's not a character. Rob has sounded like that since we've known him. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm just, mate, I love that you are just the same dude that talks to these people and it makes no difference. Then I listen to Rob's interviews and it's like so relaxed, so like chill. It's just like, tell me all about it. And he, I don't know, man, like, yeah, I love listening to Rob's um, podcasts because they're just like, it's just like hearing your mate chat to like someone famous, which is like always <laughs> cool, obviously. But yeah, yeah, I like I like that about Rob's podcasts. I don't know what to say. Thanks, thanks for the nice words, man. Yeah, I yeah. I, I just talk to them like I've just I don't know someone's new. At the you job. you talk to people like you've just met them on a night out, and you're just like, yeah, yeah. let's have a smoke and, and like <laughs> let's just go like have a few drinks and let's just chill. In fact, wasn't it Nate that you basically accidentally made get up really early as well because you thought it was on the <laughs> yeah yeah that, yeah that was like my bad complete <laughs> like but like he arranged it we. Had Actually, basically, I thought I'd arranged it for 9am his time. And I was like, what a good guy getting up on a Saturday. 9am, he's going to be there. But in his head, it was like midday. And then uh, he was like, I don't know. He said he had this like subconscious thought that I'd got the time zones wrong, which I absolutely did. And then, uh, yeah, he was like, he was like, I just knew it was wrong. He was like, I just knew that you meant East Coast time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He got up like super early for it, like, but not I'm like, I was ready waiting. I thought that was the correct time. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, it was like three, four hours earlier than like he originally thought. But I don't it's know. like two a.m. on the west coast. He's like, yeah, happy to be here. Because he just moved. He literally just <laughs> moved posts, so he was like now four hours behind. But he, I don't know. I think when I'd actually arranged it with him, he was living in his old area, which was in like New York or something, and he'd moved to. Whatever. Oh, okay, okay. But again, time time zones in the US are a bit of a strange one. Yeah. Because I mean, like the, the management with with Mike Miley, they got the wrong time zone. Yeah. And I ended up just sat there waiting for an hour <laughs> just in case <laughs> I came back on, and they did, and we did it. Held out. I was literally about to switch Zoom off and be done, and that was it. And I really, really needed a wee. <laughs> the light, like super professional. So like, right, I'll just go for a wee, and then I'll come back and check. And if I'd have gone for a wee, I'd have missed him. I, you'd think they'd be like more hot on that kind of stuff because they actually have to deal with it every day. Yeah, it's like a daily like, <laughs> it's like a daily chore for them to figure out what time zone is they're in and like. Yeah, I know. Like America, I think they have Eastern, Central, and Western. Like, yeah, but there's like Mountain Time as well, which is yeah. like sort of middle, but not. I think like, that's like half an hour behind some place. It's like an hour difference, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Fucking hell, man! One yeah. country having I mean, that's fucking. Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bit mad, yeah. It's a bit yeah, confusing. Fucking hell, I can't imagine that. Like, in the same country. Yeah, because you could be next door to a state and they have a different time zone, surely. There is definitely... Yeah, yeah, there is that element. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. See, that, that's the bit that I can never fathom because there must be a point where people live very, very close to a time zone barrier and yeah. that must really fuck them over. Like, ah, okay. Is it like an island in Hawaii is literally like 23 hours behind like an island in Samoa, but geographically they're like 100 miles apart? Or it's, it's something like that. You know, I'm, oh, that's obviously completely wrong. But there are these like two islands in the Pacific that are like mad close to each other, but one is literally like 23 hours 
behind the other. It's not completely wrong. It's like, it's actually true, man. There's like this, I don't know how actual close. I don't know. If right. Like, yeah. So I'm saying I've got the names wrong, but like, it's definitely like there's two islands yeah, in the yeah, Pacific that are like that. Just because of yeah. how they've fallen. Like, yeah. Can't. Yeah. Because they fall right in the middle of that um, yeah. gap. So yeah. Yeah, it's like you could actually go like 200 miles or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's 23 it's hours behind. It's like, yeah, it's fucking perfect. Jesus Christ, man. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Imagine if you were like, if you were late, if you had to be there on a certain day, like, I don't want to be late. <laughs> what fucking time do you call this? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I'm not, like, you can see where I live for a day ahead. Down the road. There's a, there's a girl that I, well, I think it was like a flatmate of a mate of mine from uni. We thought she was taking the piss, but apparently she wasn't. She got it into her head that, you know, like when the clocks go forwards and you get like the extra hour or they go back and whatever it is, whichever way around it is. But like if you have an extra hour, basically. Well, she got it into her head that you could use that hour throughout the day whenever you wanted. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> like you could you could just go, well, I'm five minutes late for this, but it's fine because I've still got 50. I've, I can use that oh. hour. So I've got an extra five minutes in the bank. Oh, the number 10 bus is coming in 10 minutes. Don't worry, it'll wait. It's fine. We've yeah, got, we've got it's, fine. it's fine. It's not like a briefcase you can just cash in, like like a check, like a token system. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> what What's the that fuck? terrible movie where, like, Adam Sandler can pause time and click. rewind it? That's click, yeah. That's the world she's living in. Yeah. That, that, that is a shit. <laughs> like, I, remember, I remember I watched that when I was high out my brain one day. <laughs> I had, like, the Sky Plus remote, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and then when you actually were able to rewind the movie you were like oh my god i have yeah, superpowers yeah. <laughs> but like this is the thing if you can actually alter time it's actually bad isn't it like do you know when people are like you know, you know in the third harry potter when they have that that that, that like time watch and somebody said like why don't they go back and like kill hitler it's like well if you if, you, if, if hitler was never born we wouldn't be how we are now it's yeah. like that isn't it i swear it's like it's like they bring that up in, yeah they bring that up in the avengers and stuff as well because they're all going yeah. back and on to fix different things and, like, obviously I mean, it's horrendous and it's fucking awful but it's like so weird is how everything everything good and bad has to happen to be how it is now it's so strange yeah exactly man that's why like time travel is like so fucking dumb in movies because it like never actually works out they have to like have this really convoluted loop of explaining like how it works yeah and exactly work. and like the people you know the people who watch Marty McFly play a song that isn't his like 20 years later yeah or whatever it's like they all think everybody in that school gym thinks that Marty McFly wrote that song and it's it's his song. Do you know? Well, but I mean? let me blow your mind, Rob. He did. That's the point. He did write that song. Marty McFly goes back in time and plays that song at the dance, and then what? like, bro, that's <laughs> this is the thing with time travel. It's like a causality loop or whatever. You know, if you go back in time and change something, that's the reason why it happened in the first place. So what? Yeah. What? yeah. What do you mean? Like, oh, I so mean, I don't want <laughs> Yeah, of course, because that's like how he wrote that song by listening to Marty McFly play it, it at the dance on his guitar. But Marty McFly only knows the song because he's from the future. So, so that's why time travel is fucked up, man. Because it's always like this, like paradox of like if you have the ability to travel in time, then like everything you do, you've already done in the past because you've traveled back in time to do it. It's it's oh, a real head scratcher, okay, and that's why it's so stupid in movies because like. It just eliminates, like, negates the premise of, like, everything that's going to happen or yeah, has happened. Well, almost the entire reason for going back in time in a film 
is to affect the current reality. Right, but it is the way it is because they've already gone back in time. That's like the loop. That's the temporal like paradox. It's a tautology because I've already done it. Right, right, exactly. Or whatever it is. But um, to go back, so the the, the longest time difference thing in terms of the time zones is actually 25 hours and 10 minutes apart. That's it. The reason why it's longer than 24 hours is apparently the date line isn't straight, isn't a straight line. (laughs) 25 hours. 25 hours and 10 minutes apart is the is the time zones. So, yeah, the two points are uh, Napari in Kiribati, apparently, yeah, Hawaii, Hawaii. and also American Samoa. Yeah. And they are 25 hours and 10 minutes apart. But they're, like, geographically very close. Is that correct? Or have I missed it? Like- yeah, because it doesn't um, – it sort of folds it out as one line. It doesn't, like, wrap yeah. it around. So it yeah. is – they are literally yeah. <laughs> right next to each other. Yeah. yeah. That is mad. You it's think – I don't know. I don't know if there's any way of changing that now. I think the system we've got in place is pretty much set, isn't it? God, yeah, that's so crazy. But it's like, I don't know if that actually affects people on those islands because it's like, no. uh, are people from going to go from A to B or do you know what I mean? I don't no, know. Probably not. It, that, that, that is quite, that is fucking mental to be honest with you. Like, um, so that, what if you had a mate there and you'd be like, oh, he's, he's not, he's not, he's not far. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, I call yeah. him, I call him. It's like a day and an hour behind. Imagine trying to organise a podcast. Do it on Thursday. Like what? This Thursday? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean well, it's you already mean, happened. Yeah. Saturday at one a.m. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's already happened. <laughs> yeah. Thursday's been and gone, mate. Like what are you talking about? Yeah. Oh, bro! Fucking hell! Yeah, exactly. Apparently, they're one thousand two hundred and twelve kilometres apart. Oh, okay. That, that is quite. That's that further than I thought. Miles is that? It, yeah, yeah, we don't. We it's don't literally do... across the sea, though. There's literally fuck all between them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what is that? Like six hundred miles? It's one point six k in a mile, isn't it? So yeah, I'm not sure what that means in in real terms. But... Oh, so I think that's like yeah, about six hundred miles, roughly. Like in, real life, in, in yeah. the English, in yeah. like in like British terminology. Yeah, yeah. Kiribati is tiny. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't look that far at all. So it's um. <laughs> it's like when you look at Africa and you're like, you could swim to Spain from the north of Africa, but it's actually pretty far. No, you can't. Oh, yeah. I mean, it can be done if you're fucking good yeah. at swimming. But like, do, do average... Jay, the in between is like me and my cousin today, and I'm dead. We swam to Africa, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that far, Neil. With me and my cousin, <laughs> <we're on> a <laughs> So funny. You'd be absolutely spewing if I was the Pedlo rental company. <laughs> the, the Strait of Gibraltar is eight miles, by the way. So if you want to swim from Africa to, to Europe, it's yeah, from Africa to Spain, it's you're swimming eight miles. Oh well, I still couldn't do that. <laughs> really? Is that all it is? Well, Eminem could do it. That's what that film's about, right? <laughs> yeah. I think so, bro. Yeah. Eight his, mile, yeah. One man's journey between yeah. the continents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> angry Detroit rapper swims from Morocco to Spain <laughs> fueled, by, uh, fueled by his mother's spaghetti oh wonderful yeah well, you're not supposed to eat too soon before swimming so that's it's probably that's best well, vomit already yeah. there you go yeah, there's vomit already he's going to end up on somebody's fucking trawler isn't he that's the thing <laughs> did you watch some kind of monster earlier James <laughs> no uh, bizarrely I didn't I couldn't actually find um I ended up watching like the trailer and then it skipped on something else and something else I was like oh for god's sakes um, but I did end up watching about, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour of uh, a year and a half in the life of, which I think was their documentary for the Black Album. Oh, yeah. I've seen that on YouTube, man. It's like, it's quite good, actually. You know it's what? Weird, okay, It's such a different Metallica. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a big 
time gap between the two. It's like, what, 12, 13 years between the two albums, whatever it yeah. is. Um, and obviously it's the, you know, there's much more upheaval. Um, so obviously Jason Newstead's just left, which is, yeah, I'll set the stall out now. Not a huge loss, um, to say the least. Ooh. I mean, he's competent enough, but he should, if there was ever a situation where a musician should not have been in a band, not to do with merit, but for every other describable reason than then Jason Newstead is. The, they literally never gave him a chance. They never no, gave him a chance. They, the thing is, they were never going to. So, But Jason Newstead was basically a fan of the band anyway. So he was never going to sort of bite back and fight his corner. Like yeah. when they were doing like the hazing shit with him and all that bollocks. Like what they needed was, I don't know, he needed to like take a shit in Hetfield's pillowcase or something or, you know, stake his claim a little bit. You know, like I don't, smash Lars in the face with a tea tray. But he was never going to do that, not before it got to the point where it was far, far, far too late and I had no respect for him. It's actually crazy he was like, because, I don't know, now he's just some guy, isn't he? Like, he's he's part of musical history, but he's nothing really, like, substantial, doesn't hold, like, a current place. Like the other people do, or even the Well, he's not as big as Metallica, obviously. He's still, like... You know, has his bands and stuff. He, he, he's a he's like a house. Yeah, he, he does his thing, whatever. But like, he's a household name if you know Metallica. But like, right. it's fucking unreal that this guy who was a fan on of the band was just on the Black Album playing bass. That <laughs> to me, that's fucking amazing. Even if it was a shit time for him, that is amazing. But he didn't even do a, a, with regards to the Black Album. He didn't even do a bad job of it, really. Um, but I just I just find it really weird that they had like three days of auditions and there were yeah. like named people. I mean, I, they kind of threw it open. What you don't do is ever really is have huge open auditions when you are that kind of band. Like, yeah, no way. They did, and they did that after Newstead left. That was kind of different because they, they just they invited people in that they knew or that, that had already been major talents and stuff rather than like people were turning up in droves to replace Cliff Burton. That's just, the, the, the complete lack of respect for that. It's just, yeah, I was just about to say that's so deep, That's so actually like trampling on his name as well. Like that's, that, that's all his reputation and parts are worth. Yeah. And they just made, and I'll, I'll start, I'll say this till, you know, and well, unless they come out with another album that's better than it, which I cannot see, but still, Master of Puppets is still their finest album to my mind. Yeah, it's yeah, one of them, but yeah. It's so they've point. just it's come like... off the best album that they've made as a band. Um, the guy that was largely responsible for a lot of the creative work on that album has died in the most horrific fashion, and yet you then, literally within a week or so, you're holding open auditions. It's like, mate. Nobody in the band thought was in the right frame of mind to be doing that. And like, what I needed to do the same. We've got these obligations. We'll put them on hold for like eight months, 10 months, and we'll take some time to like decompress. And then we'll go back and go, okay, right now, what do we do? Like, it, it was like in the middle of a tour, though, wasn't it? It was just like you say about the obligations, but like they physically, like, literally had to play those shows. So, well, like, that's the thing. I mean, it's up to, it's up to what. I think if if you if that had been if it if it had been the Metallica, say like after the Black Album, then they would have said "fuck you, we're not doing the rest of the tour." Yeah. Well, yeah. Here's your tickets. We'll rebook the shows. Like we'll do them, but you're not getting them now. Whereas I think the Metallica at that point were too young. They hadn't really. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like the body of work, those like if you include Master of Puppets, those first three albums are class. 
but they hadn't got the kind of death clock level of fame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like oh, Ma- yeah. the Master of Puppets like, album cycle was when they were like bigger than like you know a club or a theatre band, especially in like Europe as well. So I think like um, that at the time they were on like a whirlwind. Like, I don't know how big the venues they were playing on the Master of Puppets record, but like. In America, they were big, man. They were really fucking yeah. big. Yeah, but they, as James said, they got it was a really big, like, you know, the fans were lining up to buy the Black Album. That's when it's got, like, media attention. Like, when they literally show, like, the lines down the, at the midnight release and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's like, when, like, they were, like, peak, like, popularity. Or whatever. Um, yeah. Of 19,000, because I've just watched it, I'm not that much switched onto it, but 19,000 people got free tickets to listen to them perform the album. So it's like, yeah, that's the level that they were at after the Black Album dropped. But obviously, yeah, when you, when that's you with no with, internet, that's with no internet as well. Yeah, yeah. But when you tour an album, you don't book the you don't book the venues on the basis of how good that album is. You book no. the venues on the basis of how the previous how good the previous album was. Now I fucking I you know I love for whom the bell tolls, but Ride the Lightning as a whole album isn't obviously as strong as Master of Puppets. No, but you no, can't no. book the venues based on an album that nobody's fucking heard yet. Like you could go around to people and go, dude, I want to book your venue because this is the best album ever. And I'll be like, yeah, but mate, you, you filled a venue of 400 people for your last one. Like, yeah, I, exactly. You know, yeah. They're <laughs> like, having this 15,000 seat estate. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. Mate, all right. All right, yeah. all right. I'll come back to you after. But I, I fucking love, um, Metallica because of the way that they've been like chronicled in the media like because they have kind of bridged that gap between like well maybe not now so much they're a bit smaller but like in the 90s they were like they made it onto like that mainstream scene like Metallica's a household name whether or not you like like metal or thrash or but that's because of the Black Album to be fair yeah it is man that's when they blew up but I like that they've gone like back and like chronicled everything from that point so like there's the documentary that shows like the Black Album there's there's some kind of monster which was just like, that was like exploitation, I guess. <laughs> like the exploitation documentary where it was just for the drama, which is like sick. It's one of like my favorite films. I love that film. Um, yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's so good, man. But since then I've gone back and I've looked at the other like Metallica things, like the the Black Album documentary, like the recording of Death Magnetic and stuff, even though I don't particularly like, you know, like that album. But I love that chronicling, like just watching them in the studio and stuff, man. And it's like very clear that they like know exactly what the fuck they're doing in the studio, man. Like they're very switched on. Um, but yeah, I, that's why I like the band because they're they know, man. I just like I like that there's all this historical evidence of what they've done, and like people take enough interest in them to record that and like put it out on the street. Because you think of like your favorite bands. I don't know, like how often can you like see like a two-hour film of them working in the studio? Yeah, that's true. That's like for fans, it's like such a nice Yeah, thing, yeah. Right? And even though some kind of monster was this kind of like, you know, we're just doing this for the drama because the band is like tearing at the seams. It's still like fun to watch for the fans. I don't know. Right. They only started that because of the interest that pre existed. Like yeah. they didn't know that was what they were going to end up filming. Right, exactly. They yeah. kind of yeah. knew that James was sort of gonna maybe be thinking about rehab and stuff but it's because of the album oh man what was the film they did a film like the guys that filmed some kind of monster they'd metallica had allowed them to use music for their previous film and metallica didn't really do that and they got them to um they did it for sort of pennies as well um and that was why they ended up making the film with them because it's kind of weird how you get that crossover where they're not really music sort of documentary type people but no, they no. end up doing the the documentary. 
But they're like they're, they're like camera gold though those people man like what they like just the characters they are especially like Kirk James and Lars they're like fucking you want they're like documentary gold yeah, such people. it's like it is that like try it's like that you know um I th- I'm sure there's like a trope for it in like television and media there's like that trinity of like uh like the two guys that hate each other and then the one in the middle trying to like calm them down. It's like, like mum and dad and yeah. like the kid. Like uh, obviously we all know like who is who, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. Mate, but like imagine making the Black Album with like those three people specifically like in the room. You'd just be like, fucking hell, like I'm going to retire after this. This is so <laughs> difficult. Well, what's weird is so th- there was this section when they're making the Black Album and like... For all of the, like you say, like all of the difficulty that you get with Lars and Kirk, uh, sorry, with Lars and um, James. They just add it all the time, yeah. but they're just, no, they're, they're, they're like the twin brothers who hate. Yeah, 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 they are. Kirk's in the background, he never causes any problems or any of that sort of shit. But he's got to do a solo, and I can't even remember what track it's on, but he's yeah. just been a knob, to be honest with you. He's just been a knob, and he's like, yeah. no, no, it just doesn't sound right. It just doesn't. And he goes, <laughs> Bob Rock just goes, just record the fucking thing and I'll put it through the amp later. Like, I will literally, I, I'm not here, going to sit here and talk about playing it through various different effects. Yeah. So, oh, I need a piss. So he goes out the And Bob's at the camera and he goes, right. He said, what happens? He said, I've recorded some of the greatest guitarists that have ever graced music. And he was like, what they always say is when they haven't done the homework is they'll sit there and they go, no, oh, it doesn't sound like the way this sounds. Yeah, yeah. I don't get the right vibe from that. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, Bob looks at the camera and he goes, just remember what I said about musicians, about guitarists that don't do their homework. And he goes, fuck you, man. I did my homework. I did my homework. The next time he has to play the solo, it's fucking perfect. It's the Unforgiven, I think. It's that solo. It's the Unforgiven solo. And Bob Rock goes to him. He's just like, don't stop fucking around with it. Like, just fucking do it in one take. And he's like, okay, I will, I will. And then he does it, and it's, like, <laughs> sick. It's really good. Like, yeah. But that's what a producer's there for, isn't it, effectively? They're like, Shut fuck up and get on. I'm just saying, like, it's exactly like the record label are paying him to make that album so they yeah, can yeah. release it. Yeah, like, please don't make it shit. Like, please rein them in. Please make this good. In, like, in, like the <laughs> quickest and most efficient way. His job is to make the album sound good with microphones like produce it well like in terms of like a music tech aspect control the band as in socially organize (laughs) them so it's fast and efficient and do this whole process in the healthiest way possible and it's like that must be for a band like that that must be fucking difficult it is man and it's funny when you see like some kind of monster like the good ideas that are on that album so like um they're recording the song frantic and like James is like singing this like melody line and it's just like going nowhere. It's just like, it's meandering and he's just going, da, 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 da. it's just crap. And then Bob Rock is like, make it staccato. It's like, make it da, 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 da. And like, that's the only good part of the song and fucking Bob Rock put it in the album. And I was like, that just shows how good a producer he is, man. Like even on that yeah, Bob like, shit show of an album, like he made mate, it, mate. he made it sound good, man. But they are, if, if you get a good one, <laughs> then they are like the, well, fifth member of the band like we'll call it that yeah exactly yeah and the four piece it's because they've got a kind of the, the whole idea is that they key into what you're good at doing and make you do more of that yeah whereas you might only i mean we all know how this is like we've all like written things down or whatever where we've kind of like one paragraph or a couple of lines are like oh man that's fucking gold that sounds amazing 
and then you maybe have another bit that sounds amazing and you've got this massive tranche of space that you've got to fill in and you're like, ah, I need something, need something in here. There's got to yeah. be something. Yeah, mate. I was actually listening to a podcast recently called the Sappening Podcast, which is actually pretty good with uh, this guy from The Blackout. They were like an old like English rock post-hardcore thing and, and like a journalist that they do. And they, they said, so this guy called Jason Perry, who's like an English music producer, he did like McFly, loads of like poppy names and stuff. And then he did their record and he did two of their albums back to back. And they were like, he was the seventh member of the band, like so much so. <laughs> we got him to sing harmony as well on every song. Like he's on every track. That's doing sick, backing man. vocals. Yeah. Because he was like there and he'd constantly be like, dude, and he'd constantly just have his input. His input's like all, he basically made the record like controlling the six guys to do what he wanted basically with their small ideas which is actually what it came to be that is bass that is bobbing on the album man he's there playing he looks so bored he's on the camera he's like playing bass he's like <laughs> fucking hell like just let this song be over with man like please <laughs> yeah but oh, St Angus like a different story man that's like a band who are like a wreck at that point as well yeah yeah, it is, man. Yeah. It's funny how like Death Magnetic was their next record five whole years later as well. Was it that long? Shit. Yeah, 2008, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. That's when you get the benefit of being a big, like, it's, I imagine it works both ways, but sometimes you need that gap. Like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like Sabbath, but the, the inter Aussie years were lean in terms of, you know, decent level of music. But obviously, Tony just felt like he had to keep fucking hammering it out to make something come out and hopefully something was going to be good. Um, and I think sometimes a band needs to just have that break and be like, no, we'll come back when we've... Because like they always say this, don't you? you spend like your entire life writing your first album and then you've yeah. got sort of six months to write your second one. <laughs> and it's like you either need a load of material left over or you've fucked, basically. Yeah, you've got to have definitely. that somewhere to, to, to get it right. Um, yeah, second. Can Alvin syndrome is real. Man, but we talked about this like last time. It wasn't last week. I was going to say last week, but last no time way. on the beer garden. And it was like, oh, is like the solo artist like the main um, like focal point of making music nowadays? And like, it, I don't know, man, because when you said about um, Ozzy leaving Sabbath, like you replace him with like some good singers, right? Some like good, you know, yeah. people like good, good singers, man. But it's not Sabbath. Like it just isn't, man. Like it's, you think Ozzy Osbourne, you think Sabbath. Like, uh, I don't like recognize like Dio was like, you know, <laughs> like he's sick, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, Heaven oh, and Hell, the yeah. album that he did is really good. It's not a Sabbath though, is it? It's not Black it's not Sabbath, Sabbath, man. It's right. like, yeah. You, you yeah. Call, I mean, they did form briefly a band called Heaven and Hell. Yeah, but it's like that that got canned because of marketing at the time. Yeah. They yeah. were just like, we can't sell this. Yeah, exactly. People think you're just reissuing the album and it's not that it's you can't yeah. call a band after the only decent album that you made with Sabbath. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like you say, like Sabbath wasn't Sabbath without Ozzy. And I'll, you know, I'll live and die on that hill. It's just not the same. And it's not particularly any major input that he had other than the sound, but I think the kind of vibe just disappeared. Because like when you've got you always sort of have like an autocratic leader of a band, which Obviously, Tony Iommi was, and he was the kind of the ringleader. He made everybody do their jobs. Like, he wrote the riffs. He organised the shit. But you always kind of need somebody butting up against them. And when you take that away, you, you you lose something. Like, he must have found it much easier without Ozzy in the band. 
but it yeah. must have infuriated the shit out of him that he kept going through these like high level singers and it still didn't work. And he was like, no, I've got rid of the pain in the ass in the group. And I've got people who arguably on a, on paper are a better singer than Ozzy Osbourne, yeah. and it's somehow shitter than it was before. <laughs> it's like, literally, like, bro, it's like in Metalocalypse when they get rid of Murderface and they're like, oh, like we yeah. sound too good. <laughs> like, <laughs> he made us so depressed, we need him no, back in the band. Got, like, <laughs> like, on their own in like three days. And then yeah, they're like, yeah. well, I, no, it's so clean and like happy <laughs> and nice. Yeah, like, we're like too efficient. Yeah. yeah. We've written too many songs. Like, we sound too good. We need them back because they're like, it's true though because it's like it. <laughs> it's like it's what they have like they've got this good with especially Sabbath on those like first like four records it's like it's like they've 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 achieved that with those ingredients even yeah. the struggle and what's pissed them off but it's like as soon as as soon as one of those little bits of seasoning is removed the whole thing's a different idea man it's a whole different recipe page. Well, this is what amazes me is that literally their first album, so Black Sabbath, right? Yeah. They turn up in the morning, they record the album, and by the by the end of the day, they they're, they're like literally they're down the pub, they're having a drink, they go to bed, they get the next morning, right wherever they've stayed, some B and B or something, and the next morning they're on a coach and they're off to I think it was either Belgium or Holland to do a gig. Yeah. They were literally in the studio for one day, but the big atmospheric like rain-drenched sound effects at the start of the first track, they didn't even hear the engineer. Yeah, they didn't know that, they didn't know that was going to go on there. They didn't know that was going to go on there until it came out. Honestly, yeah, that, that, that was the producer's idea. That was his yeah, idea. One of the greatest albums that have, literally the first metal album that was ever released. Yeah. Like Birmingham's greatest gift to music. Apart yeah. from Ocean Colour Sea, obviously. Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, yeah. And, and and it was almost, like, accidental. It's crazy. Absolutely. But who, yeah, who was the guy who had the balls to do that? He's just like, I'm just going to add, like, 10 seconds of rain sound effect at the start of this song, because I think it will sound good. Like, what? It was, it was the major disrespect of, of general musicians. So, like, one of my favourite stories is the, um, the Van Morrison band, Them, um, and they're a bunch of, like, rough-arsed, quite scary lads from Northern Ireland. And they go into the album and uh, they go into the studio and they're under the impression that they've made it, they're going to record their album. And as they're walking in, they can hear the guitar sounds from one of their tracks being played. And they're like, the fuck is this? And it just so happens that Jimmy Page, in his role as a session musician, is basically recording their entire fucking album. <laughs> It's like, yeah, we don't, we don't need anyone apart from Van Morrison. Yeah, that was, it, that was it. So the band <laughs> turn up and they're like, Right, we're ready now. And the guy goes, well, what have oh, you all bought your fucking instruments for? <laughs> and he was like, the comedian was like, we only need him. And like, Jimmy walked out and he was like, oh, fuck. And he was like, it's the closest he's ever gotten to being beaten the shit out of by the actual band. So he said he basically recorded their album. And the amount of stuff that if it, he stopped revealing in the end, like who and what he'd done, because people like kept asking him, like, well, did you record that? Like some of these iconic guitar riffs mm. from the, like, the late, sort of like mid to late 60s or whatever um and it was him it was him in the studio all the time but why i mean obviously that was you know studio musicians are like a good thing and they're like you know very useful but like was was that like the normal practice then i mean it seems to be but like why wouldn't they want the authentic guitarist on their like playing uh, because they didn't, they, they, 
they didn't think it was worthy of it. Like, if yeah. it was somebody like Hendrix that you're going to really struggle to replicate, then right. you would just record Hendrix. Yeah. It's just st- I mean, okay, if it was like status quo, for example, it's literally three chords, like any fucker could play it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Why do you need them in the studio? Just get it recorded. Get them yeah, to exactly. Them. But it's like, do you know Eddie Van Halen played all the guitar on the Thriller album? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's like, it's like having him there as 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 a personality make a difference. Yeah, but when it's like, I don't know, man. Like the Van Morrison band, like I'd be like, yeah, just let them play the guitar, man. Like obviously Michael Jackson isn't going to fucking play like you know the Beat It solo. <laughs> you know we're going to bring someone in to do that. That's fine. And if it's Van Halen, great. Um, yeah. So I mean, true. even then, that just seems like a flagrant waste of money. Because there's no way you're paying him like a session musician fee to do that, surely. No, no but you know you're going to get quality, man. You know it's going to be sick. You know what the result's going to be, though. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But yeah. well, you, you say that, but if you if you get somebody in that is known for, especially when it comes to Eddie Van Halen, it's like possibly the worst person you could have picked for somebody who, if I had to pick out a guitarist that that was that can do nothing but put their own spin on something <laughs> and their own sense of yeah. originality through it. Like yeah. if you want to go, there's the there's the music, you just play it and fucking go home. Eddie Van Halen is the guy you don't go to. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It's crazy. It's all well yeah. it's all the stories where um like when uh Guns N' Roses covered Sympathy for the Devil, they tried to do their own version of it and Axel just kind of shut it all down and was like, no no, slash, come here. No, you play it like Keith. And it's like, what's the fucking point of me doing it then? Get Keith to fucking do it. Yeah. Because like, it was for what? Interview with a Vampire, I think. I think that was the film. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. But like, I want to hear that version. I want to hear the first version that got shit canned. I want to hear the gun. I mean, I do like their version of it. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, I like it as well. I think it's pretty good, but hmm. I want to hear it like, yeah, I want to hear, I hear it, it like a straight cover. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. You don't want to hear like note for note exactly the same thing because what's the fucking point? Yeah, you could just get any guy on like, well, nowadays, anyone on YouTube, just like, you know, just get them into like, yeah, like yeah. do a note for note cover of uh, any piece of music out there. So, but yeah, so like, uh, and this is what I mean about, you know, like just getting like, a, a, you know, the session musician is Jimmy Page, but just getting a session musician to play the songs, like, that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I mean, just, I it, guess it they just didn't respect. It, it was like cheaper. They were reliable because you knew who they were. But it's a bit of a um. I don't know. It's the reason why I love documentaries and stuff so much is that it kind of peels back that veneer of the music industry, where you've you've kind of rightly or wrongly, wherever you've got these preconceived notions about how the recording works and how this works and this that and the other. Like I love the fact that um, Rage Against the Machine's first album. Um, they kind of record it in one room. So that's how I'd kind of all imagine. Live. It's all live, like a practice session. It's all yeah, live. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly like, and in 90% of the recording, that like 20 or 30 of their mates are all sat around in the room as well. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. I mean, I love those guys anyway, but I love that kind of proper authenticity. And I love it that it's recorded at Sound City, which... I mean, we're going to go about that. So if, we, if we're going to kind of hit on the documentary side of things, mm. definitely go and watch some kind of monster. Even if you think Metallica are a bunch of dinosaur, wanker, horrible <laughs> idiots from like the bygone age of whenever. Doesn't they matter because part yeah. of yeah, that's how they come across. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> that's the whole point. You basically watch the, you watch the, the, the thread of a, of a competent 
successful, very, very rich bands just get pulled and it all falls apart. So it's proper. If you like watching like car crash reality TV, watch this because it's people that you love to hate. You know, I'm the, the Duke of Edinburgh died today. Um, he did. He did. Prince Philip is actually dead today. Today. But somebody's already gone from him to the, one of the things that I read on social media within like sort of the last three or four hours kind of thing that sort of stuck with me enough to mention it now is um, somebody said, oh, every town in England has already got um, a like a statue or a commemoration to uh, Margaret Thatcher. They've got like food, um, they've, they've all got food banks. And I was like, yeah, yeah. somebody's already gone from like Prince Philip dying to Margaret Thatcher to food banks in like what three hours since the news of his death broke and like yeah. if you if you're there and you've been sat in your room or whatever writing out this piecing together this fucking song and a guitar and you and you read that on twitter you sit and have a beer at, you know after you've finished look through on twitter and they're like oh fuck somebody's already made that bollocks, <laughs> bollocks in the fucking bin it goes then yeah like, does uh, he sound antiquated if you, you yeah so you bring out an album on corbin He's like, well, he's already been <laughs> sidelined. It's like, you know, we've already got this new stuff shirt in the middle. What gave some bands the right to maybe even say that? Like, it's so funny how people used to use bands as almost like a media outlet back then, you know, yeah. to obtain like a social and political view. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't know, like Black Flag, especially, or like the whole straight edge movement and veganism, like early in the day, is like another example. Because there is like, it's because there is no other platform for these areas, right? So at the time, yeah, there's no there, internet. There wasn't anywhere, the um, only platform was the record, and their and their and their record player. You know, it's word of mouth. It's literal like ideas being passed down through word of mouth, and like that's how you like. It's almost like you go to see these bands to like reinforce that kind of view of the world that you have. But now you don't do that. You you know log on to your computer and you know read about it and discuss it over the internet. Yeah, exactly, man. And, and it's cool that bands still do that stuff, man. It's cool that they still talk about it and they still like have these ideas and. You know, like if a band wants to make a political record, like that's fine. But they're probably not bringing anything like new to the table at that point. They're probably just... It's weird because it, it kind of hits it a lot. I say Black Flag, they weren't really a political band, but it was like just a man talking about dealing with like social de- like anxiety and anger, which was actually probably relatable at the time. Yeah. You know, that also, that, that category also falls into it as well, I think. Of course. Yeah. How, how about if I, if I said to you guys that the last political album that actually got anywhere in terms of sales and traction was American Idiot by Green Day. Yes. That, I, I definitely believe that as well. I definitely that believe was that. was very yeah. much reactionary to like the Bush administration and the, yeah. sort of the, the, the de-intellectualization of America. Which... Yeah, man, it's like, now everybody do the propaganda. That's what it should Everybody do the propaganda. Yeah, that's so. That's such a good lyric, isn't it? Yeah. That's what we've like. American cool, is like, actually a very artistically fucking amazing record, to be honest. Yeah, man. The thing, though, but like, the message is on point. But also, it's actually a decent. I mean, this is why I and I, I know we kind of talked about this before, and I didn't really kind of go into who it was. But their most recent album, Green Day's most recent album, I slammed the shit out. Of. Yeah, bro, it was fucking terrible. It was terrible. But the reason why I slammed them so hard is because they are responsible for Dookie and American Idiot and. Yeah. A good 10 to 15 tracks that, that were like the soundtrack to my formative years. And I was like, yeah. 
you fuckers have a responsibility <laughs> to put out decent music and not sell out and bring out fucking Gary Glitter-esque shit that I cannot stand. And it's kind of like they were becoming largely irrelevant before American Idiot came out. Would that be yeah, a they were because yeah, because I think I actually think their last album was was it Warning or something. I know they had they had put out a record for quite a while. Yeah, exactly. I know, I know, yeah. I know, I know they'd really kind of struggled to compete with like the rock scene that was happening. Like obviously that rock scene branched off into so many subgenres, like um, you know, like 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 indie and fucking emo that was happening. But like they were really struggling to compete. But it's funny because they actually came back. And absorbed fans of everyone who likes guitar music, we'll call it. Yeah, American Idiot is a. I think that's actually like a universally liked record by a lot of fans of all music, really. But that's no, okay. I'm just saying. Not only is it political, but it's it's almost, it's like it's written like a rock opera, right? So it's written in terms of like a yeah. story, like a character. But they made it political, and it's like you know a lot of universal themes in there that people can relate to. So I think honestly, Wait, that's, that's so why it actually, works. Actually, actually, we were talking about Prague, and it? it's like. Jesus of Suburbia for a nine-minute song is like amazing. Yeah, it's, like, it's, when you think of Prague, you think of like oh, like lots of cool chord changes, lots of like, like, like crazy you know, like guitar Rick solos going on synth, you know. Yeah, yeah, but no, it's just like EAD, but there's like five different parts to it. Like, <laughs> yeah, Insane, that's bro. funny, man. It works though; it's good. I was in Brisbane Airport at about eight o'clock in the morning, and it was like. 33 degrees already and i was like this is fucking horrendous i saw i saw about 16 geysers all in black walking like like, like proper black and i was like they look like a metal band You're like these and are I my kind like, of people yeah and the sick yeah and i was like the singer's like five the singer's like five foot five he's tiny yeah and i just saw him and i was like it's credit phil i was like i can't <laughs> fucking believe it and then i literally i literally just walked over and i was like boys boys I was like, how's it going? Are we all right? I was like, where are you flying? I was like, I was trying to have a full chat and they, they just looked at me as if like, fuck off. Basically, they just didn't want to know me. And then I had a chat. I was like, where are you flying? How's it going? I shook everyone's hand. I was like, yeah, man, like, this is fucking sick. I used to listen to you guys on the beach on holiday. This is amazing. I was like, I'm from Birmingham, England. I know you're from Switch. And we had this like massive, massive conversation. Well, like, it was it was like 80% me talking, but like, I don't even know. What, do you know what I mean? I can't imagine and, uh, that. <laughs> and I, I, brought, I, I went through and I could see him behind me and I went through, I went through, what is it? I went through customs and then I picked up my stuff and I went back out the exit because I was like, I need to get a photograph. I literally went back, back into the airport and I went behind the band and I grabbed Danny, the singer, and I was like, I need to get a picture, mate. I was like, I've just gone through customs, just put all my stuff in those little clear bags, into empty my pockets. I was like, let's get a picture, mate. And then we got a picture, and he, he, he the whole time, I don't think they really wanted to chat to me. They thought I was some twat, basically. Yeah, but mate, it's AM in, in fucking 33 degree heat. But you'd have been sat on that, what, 18 hour flight going, I should have got a photo. Yeah. If you yeah. hadn't have done it, you'd have been killing yourself. You know what, man? I, I think that's quite cool. That's quite sweet, though. Like, for you to, like, recognise all of them and be so excited. I don't think they really get that that often nowadays, do they? Really? Mate, I was absolutely buzzing. I was absolutely gassed for it, honestly. I was so excited to just see them. Honestly, it was, it was unreal, man. It was unreal. Like, and I was sitting next to this old lady on the plane, and she was like, oh, yeah, talking about the airport. And I was like... 
I was like, should I cradle a field pass? Like, oh, it was like Telephone Dan. It was like Telephone Dan. Like, Listen to this track. You're like giving her the headphone. Like, this is who I met. Yeah. You know, she'd be happy for you, even though she hadn't got a fucking clue what you were talking about. She'd be like, yeah. oh, it's lovely that is, dear. Do you want a cup of tea? Yeah. yeah. She's like, that is lovely that is. And it's like, it's like Telephone Dan with her dying feet. Sure. She's like, what does that say, Robert? They <laughs> Oh, you're making me rest my nan now, you son of a bitch. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the good thing about yeah. grands, man. They're excited, even if it's even if it's just, you know, not that right, interesting. Their, their grandson could do anything, and they'd yeah, be like, yeah. oh, I hope you have the best time ever. <laughs> oh, man, it's a good job we didn't have the podcast at that point, because you probably would have been, like, getting your phone out, just like, give me 10 minutes of your time. Yeah. Let's just do a quick little interview. Watch your yeah. email. Danny, watch your email, mate. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd have said to me when we went to that first Rival Sons gig that at some point in however many years down the line that I'd be sat there not only interviewing like one of the band members once but actually getting to interview him twice yeah man and this is what I was saying at the start like you know it's it was was from the studio in Nashville yeah that's so sick man honestly he's the nicest guy to speak to I swear to god like there's just literally no pressure I could have I could have gone to that interview with Mike and gone come up with four fucking questions i would have still filled an hour it's interesting you talk about that man like that (laughs) bands playing in those kind of areas because obviously like springsteen played like in like east germany like just before the fall of the berlin wall and all that kind of stuff man he was like a historical like figure in that actually and but like people are playing johannesburg now springsteen playing johannesburg yeah man and and uh also the scorpions man like the the west german rock band man they were like people now are saying they were kind of like really integral to spreading those messages of like, um, like freedom and expression and stuff like yeah. that. Like in that, in that fucking time when there was the Berlin war, man, um, like not saying that they brought it down, but like <laughs> they were like seeped into like the culture, man. And I think those people in like East Germany, when they saw like Springsteen play and the Scorpions and stuff like that, with all these like messages of hope and freedom and stuff. And like, yeah, admittedly Springsteen is like shitting on America a lot of the time, man. But like still, it's it's like that's what mostly all his music has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is, man. But like to bring that just those ideas of expression and freedom to people who don't have that idea of freedom and expression is like that's so yeah, fucking cool, man. Yeah. Ideology of it, man, because it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually cool because it's like you know most of Springsteen's stuff is especially his first seven records are like about shitting on America in a way but like yeah exactly especially a record like Darkness on the Edge of Town where it's like he's taking the American dream and saying whatever yeah fantastic man yeah great great record man but that's the good thing man about him playing in uh, like in East Berlin it's like or like you know East Germany it's like uh like, I'm not saying you have to be like America. Like, I'm not coming over and saying, like, yeah, American democracy is going to smash the Berlin Wall. It's like, it's yeah. good. It, it's like I'm bringing over the idea of, like, rebellion and freedom of expression and stuff, man. Like, I want people to be able to say, like, criticise the government, like, yeah. criticise what want, you've been told. I want, them, I want them to be able to, like, freely say, like... Yeah, yeah, know, exactly, man. Yeah, and I'm not saying that, like, American democracy is the way. Of course, like, he's not saying that. Like, he says, like, criticises America, like, a lot, and that's fine. But just bringing yeah. those ideas, that's... It's that sort of coddling, warming notion that you can always hark back to. Um, and people, people won't accept that being fucked with. And it's kind of like, well, you need to learn that you are being exploited in the level that you are. I mean, okay, we don't want to go too political on this one, I suppose, but 
you get to that point where it's like you need to realize that what your your vision of America is basically carried on your backs and you get nothing for it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you know the Born in the USA album, you know, like the album shoot, because like Warner Brothers didn't understand at the time because like he didn't want to be on a major label, but he was like drawn into it through like, you know, signing shit and it just kind of happened that way. And like, his, he's like, oh, Warner Brothers wants you. He's like my ass fucking shot as the front cover, basically. And he was like, <laughs> the album, and like the album actually as a product is is American, but what I'm singing about is anti-America from track one to 10. But he's like, people are so dumb, they don't even understand what I'm saying. Like each lyric is anti-America completely. I think the problem is it's sometimes it's not necessarily being stupid. It's that the alternative is so much more work. So you kind of, you have to look at it and go, oh shit, okay, so this isn't good. I am being exploited. Now what do I have to do? And it's such a negative image to put yourself into. People won't do it. And that's part of the problem with political change. But, I mean, I would love, if I was Springsteen, I'd be like, if these political entities wanted to use my my songs, I would be like, go for it. You pay me the money, you use it. Because I know, and my fans know, and whatever else, exactly what this means. So you are literally shooting yourself in both feet. Like any political candidate that uses born in the USA, unless their, you know, unless their standpoint is in line with the ethos of the song, it's kind of ironic and it makes them look even more stupid. I mean, the only thing is that it kind of does play to the base, but everything plays to the base. That's how it works. But the magic of Springsteen is that he makes, like, the... Shining a magnifying glass on the most depressing aspects of living in a capitalist environment. But he puts it... He he phrases the songs in such an upbeat, happy, kind of, like, motivational way... I mean, in a sense, he's an absolute bastard because he's frightened. <laughs> yeah, but it's the opposite it's on purpose, so it's on purpose. Yeah, right. it's, it is, yeah, it is, yeah. 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 I know he doesn't do it by accident, but he, he's a fucking genius. And I'm like, I think it's it speaks to that kind of notion that it doesn't matter whose era Springsteen is supposed to belong to, but it's accessible even now. Here's the thing, sorry to cut over you, but there's one thing that I always wondered about that documentary, Sound City, because that's like kind of about like Dave Grohl driving in there and like saving it and like buying the record disc out, buying the the recording desk and like giving it a home after Sound City kind of like shut down or whatever. There was like so many legendary artists and good albums that were recorded at that studio. Like how did it fall into such disrepair? This is what I don't get because when they're doing the documentary, they're like, this person recorded here. This album was recorded here. There's so much history there. And like no one fucking stepped in to stop it from dying. What's what's the deal, man? Like, how did that happen? Like- well, this this is the tombstone for the music industry in that nobody gives a shit about anybody else. Because Dave Gold only went like Dave Gold wanted to buy the reason why the documentary happens is Dave Grohl wants to buy the Neve console. That's the whole thing. And I kind of, in the article that I write about it, I'm kind of like, well, it's literally two lines because I don't want to... Nobody wants to start on Dave Grohl because he's the nice guy of music. Right. But also, it's kind of like, well, 
you've literally just arrived to pick the bones of the corpse. <laughs> That's what it seems it. like, man. He's, he's not like saving the industry. He's not like saving the studio, man. He's like, I'm going to buy this thing and like take it with me to preserve history, but I'm also going to like use it for my own like recording. So he's not getting nothing. Um, and they kind of become a victim of the move over from like the analog recording to, you know, Cubase and all that sort of bollocks. You know, like the Trent Reznor shit and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's why it dies. And they kind of had the mini revival where it came to like Nevermind and Slipknot and all that sort of stuff. But it didn't last because at the end of the day, like we've kind of probably talked about, um, it was easier to not do things that way. So you could. Yeah, but then, like, why treat it with all this nostalgia? Why treat it with all these rose tinted? You know, everyone's coming out and saying, like, oh, it's such a shame it died. It's such like a shame this happened. You know, like, you literally have the money and the power to prevent it. Like, you have well, the ability. Yeah, but this, and then they don't. This happens like, a this lot. Is, like, yeah. There is a supermarket in the town where my pub is that is about, that, that's basically folding and people are kicking off, going, oh, man no, we can't let this go. It's such a shame. And, you know, we don't want whatever's going to replace it to be replacing it. But it's like, well, if you'd have actually, you know, acted and paid and gone there and used it, it wouldn't be failing. So it's your yeah. fault. You right. can't can then complain. But obviously this is the self-serving. Now, don't get me wrong. Like the album that they make with the artists that wrote and recorded stuff there is fantastic. Um. But it's kind of a too little, too late. If they'd have gone there with their massively successful bands, then you say to Dave Grohl, like, so Dave, so you came and recorded, never mind here, but did you record an album with the Foo Fighters here? No, you fucking didn't. Yeah. Did you go in to try and save it? Like one of your platinum records would have saved this place, but did you go there and do it? No, you fucking didn't. Well, this is what I mean. You know, it's all well and good, like, preserving that history and having that point of view but it feels like the documentary was like it, like as you said it was picking the bones over something that was already dead so it kind of feels exploitative in that respect because you know there's all these like musicians getting teary-eyed over the deterioration of the music industry as they know it i'm like but you are like the lifeblood of that industry like you. what's weird of, is that's the big know, thing about the documentary yeah. that's what you take away from it is that the the actual artists don't give a shit and they just talk about what their experiences were when they yeah. recorded there. It's the staff. And the yeah. staff are the ones that, like, tear up and stuff. And you're like, yeah. Well, well, yeah. If you actually felt the way that you're saying... It's a big... My big thing with, with documentaries, like music documentaries, is that you can't take... Don't take it at face value. Watch it for what it is and see who says what they say. So, like, the staff are heartbroken that it all fell apart. But the musicians are kind of just like, oh, it's brilliant when we were here. But, well, then <laughs> yeah, you yeah. had all yeah. this opportunity to change it and, and make an actual positive impact, and you never did, and that's mm. why it died. Like, it's your fault. Like, these people that have been roped in, like, like Neil Young starts it off, like, he turned up to record one of his albums. I forget which one it is. But, like, his car is spewing smoke. He's being trailed by like a state trooper as he pulls into the car park. And it's like, you didn't fucking save it. And then it just goes yeah. through this absolute list of platinum artists and none of them did a fucking thing. 
Which is fine, man. But then, like, don't make a documentary, like, you know, decrying all of the fucking evils of the world when it's it's just like it's just hypocritical, right? It's just self-serving, which which is what the documentary was, which is fine. Well, I mean, I love it for the sake of you get to hear some of these stories. Yeah, about that's all nice. Yeah. That's great. But then yeah. it's like, well, if you were, like you say, like if you were that bothered, yeah. Well, maybe that's what it is. Like you know, to 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 steal an album title from one of the worst albums. Um, standing on the shoulders of giants and that's kind of how it is is that there are lots of situations where that's how it's happened fuck that's so depressing man oh my god I don't know if it's just the gin talking but you know it's the the real talk man it's the fucking real word I feel like a, a lot of the soul of the music industry that I identify with as being the soul of the music industry has has died like a horrible, horrible death. Maybe it will come back and maybe it won't, but I, there's a lot of it now where it's kind of, it's all kind of music's going the way of like clickbait in a sense that you just want like a hook or a thing that will get you into a playlist that will get you into the sphere of this. And then all of a sudden, yeah. boom, you're signed. That's how, that's the route now. That's yeah. where the route is. Mate, are we, are we ever going to hear another Born to Run, Docs on the Edge of Town, a back-to-back, back-to-back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, man, because, like, selling out as a concept has always existed, right? Like, selling out, like, you know, doing what's trendy, doing what's popular. Um, but in spite of that, you know, good music has still been made, you know, throughout the years. So, I it don't has, know, man. But it's, th- like, it's not, it's not, it takes the small majority to connect with it, but... Even they go for clickbait to expand the band, you know. Yeah, but I think you have to look at it through that lens of history. So, like for example, in ten years, like we'll all look back and be like, "Oh yeah, this band in like 2020, they were like doing like real stuff at the time." But it's hard to see when you're like right in the middle of it, right? Because we have the luxury of, you know, enjoying music that happened before us and like you know experiencing that and saying, you know, this was good at this time. You know, we don't have that at the moment with, with like modern day music. You know, we may have to wait like a few years <laughs> before we can reflect and accurately say, oh, this was, this was good for its time, I guess. Yeah, exactly. No, but I think yeah. I'll, I'll back Rob up in the sense of, like Rob said the other week, like I hope people look back and are bitterly, bitterly disappointed at the state of the music industry. And I think a lot of it does speak to that. Like I don't, I just don't get it. I think the, the, the way it, it's not so much, what's coming out that's disappointing it's the way that they're changing the pipeline to get made yeah that that's the biggest problem really it's how you get from a to b now that's the biggest problem well actually not not actually what is popular it's actually because that's always maybe been an issue but it's like not an issue because it's just is what it is but it's like that's personal preference but the way you get from A to B or like from the silver medal to the gold medal is now the biggest problem I'd say well, my issue is that I've always been on the side of you need to be like an album band to make it. Like, that's my issue. You do in like an artistic way, though. For like artistic integrity, you do. You know what you do? To make a decent album, you've got to have six out of ten minimum being decent tracks. Yeah. If we ignore the REM model, which is two tracks are like nine out of ten, and then the rest of them are like three out of ten. That's <laughs> but, the OEM model. Right. But the two but, tracks are absolute bangers. Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, like two and nine out of ten, 
and then the, the other eight are like <laughs> one out of ten. Like, and then everyone yeah. says that that was the one good album. Everyone says, oh, yeah, Automatic for the People, that was the good yeah, album. Yeah, because Automatic for the People yeah, yeah. <laughs> were that they got four nine out of tens. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they if, all, yeah. if, all you, if, if all your model is is single lead, you only have to hit it once and you become part of the establishment and that's the entity. Like somebody picks you up and puts you on the right playlist on one four-minute track and then somebody will be keyed into your next release, however good or bad it is, but there's people invested in it. Mate, I swear to God, if you can get on a playlist like that now on the streaming sites and have a song, just, just exactly what you said there, James, you're in, you're fucking in, you are fucking in, I guarantee, I guarantee that, and they, you even have the potential then to pull... 1,200 people in London at a gig. I guarantee it. I fucking guarantee it. Okay, I, w- I will say that. Yes, I agree with you in the short term. But let's be honest. Does that last? Like, realistically, does that last? Because, because I personally, no. I don't think it does, man. Like, I don't think someone who enters in that way gets, like, a single picked up by someone else three years' time. Like, they're just, it's the new flavour of the month. Yeah, but that's the thing, you know man. Saying, like, man. Is it better to have 10,000 fans worldwide for six months or have 10,000 fans worldwide for like four years, for example. Option B, like definitely. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, exactly. Of course, my option B. But they don't yeah. need it. That's the, that's kind of the point. They yeah. don't need it. That's yeah. the problem with the modern issue. You don't need it. No, you don't need it. You don't You don't need people to stop and think and appreciate what's happening. It's like happening. building a house on quicksand, isn't it? It's like, this is going to be fine for a bit, but it, it like this shit doesn't last. Well, I think the problem is, is that yeah, like, yeah, like, you're right. now, yeah. so in the old days, you might have had, say, 10,000, 20,000 people, but now it's probably millions of people. It's a lot. People. It's a lot, man, for sure. So they can now live long enough on the success of one single to probably propel them to the next point where they maybe just tweak the zeitgeist. Mate, like, what's, what's like a one-hit wonder, bro? Like... um. That is the original fucking one-hit wonder. Charles yeah. and Eddie, would I lie to you? I'm showing my age now. Okay, then. so Charles and Eddie, mate, Charles and Eddie have, mate, 950,000 pl- monthly listeners, 950,000 listeners for a song that came out in, in... Mate, I swear to God, mate, they have almost a million people listening to them a month on Spotify. Okay, so here's the... I'm looking at the top 100 album chart right now. And I'm thinking that maybe like people have had their fill of being told us. St- and I'm not saying I agree with it, but like the top albums at the moment, man, Fleetwood Mac, Rumours. Really? Really? Been still? Greatest Hits, uh, you know, uh, Ed Sheeran, you know, whatever, he's popular still. Uh, Diamonds by Elton John, um, Oasis, Time Flies, Greatest Hits album, Curtain Call Hits, Eminem. Uh, you know, live at live at in New York, ninety nine. David Bowie. These are just like names I'm picking from like the top Jesus forty. Man. So, and these aren't um, these are typical of what people buy when it comes to albums. They buy things that they already know, things that have happened in the past. So, are we seeing a decline in music, man? Is no one actually making an album that's worth buying in the way that these guys did in the past? Like, I don't know, man. Like, maybe I, I would say maybe no overall because people don't expose themselves enough to this kind of new music to discover new albums. But there are a lot of really good albums out there that people keep buying. You know, that's one explanation. Yeah. If you were a major fan, you bought all of the singles and the album. 
that was how it worked. It wasn't the other yeah. way around. You didn't buy a couple of singles and you were a fan of the band. You bought the album and then you went and bought the singles because you wanted the B-sides. That's yeah. why you bought the singles because you already had the singles when you bought the album, but you bought yeah. the singles because you wanted the B-sides. Yeah, exactly. You want you want you wanted the extra four minutes, man. That's it. Definitely, man. But I w- I would say, who is buying music now? Who is buying music? What demographic Nobody, is buying not- music? Vinyl, vinyl collectors. That's it. That's pretty much it. Right, but in terms of like how they calculate the top forty, who is buying that music? Well, it, it's all from downloads. It's not from actual right. physical books. So yeah. the, t- it, the top forty is calculated on um, streams, essentially, and downloads. So that younger, that- younger crowd, like maybe like even as young as 14, 15 to like, you know, early 20s maybe. Like, so this is why you get this reflection in people that, when people buy albums, they hear like Queen, they're like, oh, I've seen the Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Let's get like the greatest hits of Queen because my dad listens to them or my granddad listens to them probably nowadays. (laughs) Um, Which is, you know, I'm sad to say boys, but that's the world we're living in. Um, that's, That's how it is, man. So I feel like the people who are consuming music in the main is like just just getting younger and younger, which is fine. You know that that's how it that's is, man. Good, like, essentially, it's good. It's good. Young people consume music. That's how it is, bro. But is in the charts, certain, it's reflected that way. There are certain there are certain yeah. points that make me so the 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 biggest selling album of nineteen seventy four was Rumors by Fleetwood Mac. It's fine. Yeah, but there are people that I work with now who are kind of just turning twenty. 24 25 who know rumors and maybe have bought it on like itunes or something and i'm like i love that that's great all right everybody thank you very much for listening to that like we really do appreciate everybody clicking and sharing commenting liking doing everything you can to support the podcast and listen to every episode we've done it's very fucking nice here. We really do appreciate it. We put a lot of time and effort in. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to our voices and opinions. All the way from the middle of this little island in the... Uh, oh, what ocean are we in? What ocean? North Atlantic. North Sea, I guess we're in. Yeah, we're in the North Sea. Yeah, exactly. Man. Like, it's cold here and it rains loads. But like, honestly, we're inside. We're inside doing this, and it? But like, thank you so much. We really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, man. Episode 40. Fucking hell. I'm probably as drunk as I would be at like a fucking uncle's 40th, to be honest. <laughs> oh, I have to be honest with you. <laughs> like, 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 on a level, on a level, on a level. But um, yeah, no, no, no. Thanks so much for listening. It's fucking sick. It's fucking sick. Support all the bands we talk about. They're, 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 they're genuinely really good. We don't fucking approach them or we get approached for no reason. Like, it's because we want people to hear this and expose it. So, <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yeah, just reiterate what Rob said. Thanks everyone for listening. We're gonna pass yeah. out in a bit, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of just us being drunk for an episode, but you know, whatever. It is what it is. Like, if we review something and we like it, it's because we actually like it. None of us have taken a penny to do this at all since we started. And if we say we like it, then it's because we do. Um, so we don't like it. It's because we don't. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you, boys, for coming on and chatting today. It's been good. We've had a few drinks. So, yeah, we'll see how it fucking goes after I edit it down. But, yeah, this is a a job for tomorrow, Theo, to worry about.